Hey there, it's Ross. You want to learn more about what it takes to actually be first with fans? Well, we've got a newsletter, V by Viacom, that will teach you just that. Subscribe, I do, at vbyviacom.com slash subscribe. Okay, here's the show. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Fan Club, the podcast that explores why we love what we love. I'm your host, Ross Martin. New Yorkers like me are used to waiting for some things, like the subway. Or we're used to watching other people wait for things like Broadway theater tickets. I am not throwing away my shot. The one thing that New Yorkers will always stand online for is incredible food. Yeah, the longest line we've seen was four and a half hours, which took up the entire block and some. Last time I came here, the line was like, 10 times longer, so I got lucky today. For example, these people who've queued up outside NYU. So what made you want to wait in line? Um, I love cookie dough. Dough is one of the latest trendy spots in downtown New York. People try to jump lines, people curse people out. It's dough time. I was super excited about this place. My friend Lauren told me about it and she said it's so good. What flavor do you want to get? Ooh, I don't know, maybe something with sprinkles? You know it's good. It says a line for it. You'll be surprised what people will do for their cookie dough. You heard that right. Cookie dough. And of course, this isn't the first or the last food craze. Food and dining is not just an experience anymore. It's an obsession that we can share on Instagram, that we can let the world know we waited this many hours for that rainbow bagel or the cronut or the Shake Shack burger. Well, on today's show... We'll talk with the food editor of Bon Appetit about some of the craziest new fads in food. Why does a rainbow bagel exist? And then we're going to talk to celebrity chef Tom Colicchio, who's going to tell us about the one customer that he geeked out over. Every guy in the place wanted to get up and say hi to him. It's foodies and food fandom on Fan Club. Carla Lolly Music has the best job in the world. That's because she's the woman who's in charge of food at a food magazine. Not just any food magazine, Bon Appetit magazine, which I think is the food magazine. Her days are spent making, tasting, and testing all kinds of glorious things like lemon buttermilk donuts, saffron rose water pistachio brittle, fried smelt, and For me, I would find that last one a little challenging for my palate. But this is just the latest stop in Carla's career, and it's the kind of career that would make anybody who loves food jealous. And I'll tell you why. First, she studied at the French Culinary Institute. She was a line cook at the famous Montrachet restaurant in New York. And she was even the general manager, and this is my favorite thing ever, of the first Shake Shack, like the one that made Shake Shack, Shake Shack. And all that stuff that she's done, all these experiences have meant that she's had a front row seat in the world of food fandom for a long time. So she is perfect for us and for this podcast, Fan Club. Welcome to Fan Club, Carla. Thank you so much. Okay, so there's so many things I want to ask you. And this episode is really dedicated to food fandom and You know, it's not something we talk about that much. Do you talk about food in terms of fans? Do you think of, like, food fans? 
We think of food fads,、mm. and I think that every fad is a fad because it has a lot of fans.、Mm-hmm. So there's fads, and then there's trends, and I would say that we dabble in both, right?、Um, and our goal, because it's a f- You know, it's it's equal parts sort of like getting out and experiencing the world of food. Bon appetit! Like going to restaurants is a big part of it, but then we're also really into chefs, kind of giving that energy back to us, so we can turn it into things that people can actually cook at home. So it's sort of straddling the line between like getting out there to experience this new thing, and oh my gosh, you went out and experienced this new thing, you can actually take that home. Well. As the editor for food at Bon Appetit, I think it's it's like you cover this phenomenon, right? You cover the trends, you cover the emerging fandoms around certain kinds of food and food、yeah. experiences. But the thing is, before this, you were like at the center of creation of food fandom, right? Like everybody remembers the line、yep. in the park. Yeah, what park was that? It Madison Square Madison Park. Madison Square Park. That. All it's like you, 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 as far as the eye could see, and then you just follow the line to the front. You're like, what are they all online for? Exactly, they're online at a freaking Shake Shack. You're like, what the hell's there? And it's so funny that you say it that way because that is what people remember. People remember the line,、yeah. not necessarily the burger, right? right? So the burger is like the the burger was good, right? So waiting online was worth it. But what I think. The frenzy was as much about the line as anything else, and I remember before I worked there, the summer before I worked there, it was a very short season when they had transitioned from it was just a table, it was like two six foot tables where they were doing hot dogs, lemonade, and like some of the、um, sweets, and that was so insane that they got the RFP to like have the. Actual freestanding restaurant, but I remember when it was still just two tables. I worked on Twenty Second Street. And was there a line? And there was this line, and I remember because I was already working in food. I worked at a restaurant, and I would go and sit in the park and just like, what are they doing? Like the line was the thing. Like what are these people waiting for? And it was like potato chips and hot dogs, which in New York City you could get literally on every corner. So there was some kind of magic thing happening. But、It's- this is this is not a phenomenon limited to you know Danny Meyer burgers. This is like. Soup Nazi, same thing. Right. This is Cronut. Yes. Same thing. Yeah. And what, how often does it happen? Like once every couple of years. I think it's happening closer and closer together now,、mm. and I think that it's fueled by the internet and social media in a way that back then things weren't.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also of、uh, Magnolia Bakery, where you know the cupcakes from Sex and the City. That's right. And how that place was open for like. A long time, and then it was on the show, and then it became a destination. But it's and not it, the best. It's not no, the best cupcake no, ever. No, but it's, it's like the whole thing.、Yeah. Oh, this is where they were. This is that corner. This is the exact same place. And then once the line is created, then it's like what you were saying. What are these people waiting? But I think it's a mixed bag now because I think people, for fads, go crazy over stuff that. May or may not actually be awesome. Well, what? Give us some examples of those so, fads that you're seeing. Cupcakes were a thing, right? And Magnolia is a great bakery, but then there were like a lot of crappy cupcakes out there, and they were popular because of something, but I'm not sure what. But it, just because it was popular didn't mean you were necessarily going to get a good 
cupcake. It sounds like the Kardashians. A little bit. Popular for the sake of being. <laughs> right. It's like, what did you ever do, Rainbow Bagel? Why do you exist? Why does a Rainbow Bagel exist? So the Rainbow Bagel the is Rainbow the Bagel. Kim Kardashian of the Rainbow pastries. Bagel, when my son asked me for a Rainbow Bagel, I was like, really? I don't want to get you one. And he was like, Mom, please, the Rainbow Bagel. Like, you know, that is something that is made for Instagram. A hundred percent. Right. There is no other reason why a Rainbow Bagel should exist. I hate buying them because I feel a little bit... So you've had to buy them too? I'm not the only... Yeah, I buy them probably at the same bagel place that you buy them. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's embarrassing more for you because you're the editor of food. But I'm also like, I understand. I'm like, right, of course. Even my seven-year-old knows about Rainbow Bagel. Your seven-year-old is a Rainbow Bagel fan. Kid doesn't even fan. have Instagram, right. right? But he's like, oh, that's the place with the Rainbow Bagel, God. which is not a good thing and shouldn't exist. Yeah, so so this is the question. There's really, when we study fandom, there's not that much of a difference between a hit show, a hit sneaker, a hit song, or a hit food. Right. But if I were to ask you, what makes a hit food? How would you even begin to answer a question like yeah, that? Yeah, that's really tricky because some of the things, and you know, I've been at Bon Appetit for five, over five and a half years. And so I have this, you know, pretty intimate relationship with the recipes we publish, the interaction that we get from our readers, the things that end up on our top recipe of the year for the end of the year, you know, those are always really revealing and interesting. And, you know, four years ago, the top three things were just salmon, quinoa, and chicken. It was like pretty much dependable that like those are going to be your top search terms and your top performing recipes. Mm. Kind of boring. Boring. Yeah. But like you get, right? People want to eat and like those, they're looking for. Yeah. A way to a way to make that interesting or different. Right. Last year, the number the top performing recipe for 2016 was frosé. I don't even know what that is. You're maybe the last person in America. What's a frosé? <laughs> I'm not. Frosé is a slushy made with rosé. Oh. So maybe five years ago, it was like rosé. All of a sudden, was not just something that like people drank at you know in the French Riviera. All of a sudden, it was like everybody was drinking rosé. It was the thing, pink wine, blah, blah, blah. Two years later, it's like, let's go one step further. Let's turn rosé into a slushy. And then it was it was literally everywhere. Well, see, that's the thing that's weird. Like, when you have a hit TV show, we know who the creator is. Right. And that's up on screen every time. Yeah. When you have a hit food phenomenon. Right. Yeah, there's Shake Shack, Danny Meyer. But most of the time, we don't really know where that hybrid came from. Right. And yeah, and I'm thinking of another example that was really big last year, which was the teardrop cake. This was another kind of internet phenomenon. It went viral. It's basically a completely clear blob that has no color and is the texture of a very loose, wobbly gelatin. But it stay- keeps this orb shape. So it has a little bit of uh, like a gelatin type. It's agar agar that holds it together. But it was like clear and translucent. It looks like a raindrop that you can like spoon into. And someone posted it and then it was everywhere. And then there in moments, a million imitators, right? So like we didn't invent Frosé. But when Frosé was big, we were able to create our own Frosé recipe that was like, tasted good, looks like it. There's no, you're not taking a classic recipe. This is not, you know. No, you're drawing inspiration from something that you see fans are responding to. And just recreating it. So 
Carla, has there ever been a time at Bon Appetit when you're covering food and you think fans are headed one way and then it turns out you maybe didn't get it right or they shifted more quickly than you thought away from that? Did that has that ever happened with I think food? we've had some misfires with matcha actually. Oh right, the green tea like stuff. the green tea, the green powder tea yeah. that is so popular now that there are tea places just devoted to matcha. Yeah. I think that the miscalculation there was that people were going to want to cook with matcha at home. So all this matcha-related things like matcha donuts and matcha icing, matcha cake, matcha whatever. People matcha are not incorporating in everything. that in their own When kitchen. we publish stories about going to have matcha and who has great matcha and matcha is a thing, yes, those will track. But our matcha donut, uh-huh. the matcha-colored Christmas cookie. Not so much. Like, not so much. And so I think that that was sort of a realization that, like, that's a thing people want to experience, but it's too weird and, like, too specialized to do at home. What a great insight. Best meal you ever had? (laughs) I'm speechless. Chef, you're the biggest fan of. Oh, my God. Chef, I'm the biggest fan of. Right I, now. I'm, I'm, this is a cop-out, but but the cooks in the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen inspire me on a daily basis more than any chef I've ever worked with. I love it. I love <laughs> how much of a food fan you are. <laughs> Carla Lolly Music, thanks for joining us on Fan Club. Thank you so much. That was Carla Lolly Music. She's the food editor for Bon Appetit magazine. You should also check out her Instagram account at Lolly Music. Hey guys, I want to take a quick break and tell you about a whole different way that you can learn about fandom. It's our newsletter. It comes out every week, and just like this podcast, it's full of all kinds of fascinating insights into the future of entertainment, media, marketing, and of course, fandom. Here's a few things that I learned recently when I was reading it. One, 88% of millennial men are comfortable with their significant other making more money than they do count me in. 82% of Gen Xers feel that work-life balance matters more than snagging a corner office. And third, when it comes to buying power, brands need to work a little harder to woo the LGBTQ community. Because we're talking about $917 billion up for grabs. You see what I mean? Media is changing faster than we all realize. It always is. Keep up. Learn something new every week, just like I do. Subscribe to the V by Viacom newsletter at vbyviacom.com slash subscribe. Okay, back to the show. So when you live in New York City, you go out to dinner a lot. I mean, it's just like what you do. Now, I remember the first time I stepped foot in Gramercy Tavern, and I, I walk into the restaurant, and the first thing I notice is Jessica Alba. And uh, they sat me next to her. So I just ordered whatever she was ordering. And then I just was so nervous the whole time I couldn't even eat anything. Um, I just was trying to, like, make sure she didn't see me looking at her. But that's all I was really doing. So I had this constant battle between, like, my interest in the food and my interest in Jessica Alba. And in that moment, I could see that Jessica Alba just really enjoying the experience she was having with her food. And that's because she's a fan of my next guest, Tom Colicchio. And it just seems like everybody's a fan of Tom Colicchio, especially if you've eaten in one of his restaurants. He's a top celebrity chef. He's a guy who's opened so many incredible restaurants. And as you can tell, clearly I'm a huge fan, so I'm excited to have him here on today's show. Welcome to Fan Club, Tom Colicchio. 
Thank you. Growing up, did you have, I know you didn't put them on a, on a pedestal, but did you have favorite chefs as you started to develop your voice? Two chefs that one I, I did work with and the other I, I wish I had, Pierre Garnier and Michel Bra. I thought that these two chefs were doing amazing food. They were doing food that was different. It was clear that they weren't em- emulating anyone. This was their, their own personality, their own thing. And, and I found that those two were, at least for me, the most exciting chefs of, you know, mm-hmm. when I was coming up. Um, I would go, and Garnier's restaurant was outside of Lyon in a town called Saint-Étienne. Now he's in Paris. And I remember going there the first time, just looking at the food going, you know, how did he do this? Right. And then and, and, uh, Michel Bra was, I worked um, in his kitchen in a town called La Guiole. And since then, he's moved outside of town in this beautiful restaurant. This was his mother's parents' restaurant that he took over. And, but he, um, he was doing some really cool things, again, going back 20 years ago. Um, he was a runner, and he was, he was a marathon runner. And he would get up in the morning and run and collect wild he would forage. Wow. And come back with like, really cool stuff. He also wow. had a, just a style of plating that was like nobody else. Why do you think it is that people have become so smitten, not just with the food that they eat, but with the person that's making it? Well, listen, this goes back to late 70s France. Nouvelle cuisine was all the rage. Most people think Nouvelle cuisine, they think smaller portions, they think different combinations of food. Um, Prior to that, everything was usually French served Mm -hmm. off a platter. Now, all of a sudden, you have plates, and the chef's personality is on that plate. Right. You can tell right away a Paul Bocuse plate from a Michel Garrard plate from an Alain Chappelle plate uh, from a Trois Gros Brothers plate. So, so you see, start seeing these personalities. Now people want to know, we're behind these personalities. And so then, you know, in, in the 80s, the same thing in America, you started wanting to know about the personalities of Alice Waters or Jeremiah Tower or Jonathan Waxman, people like that. And books are starting to happen. Now, all of a sudden... What happens right after that? In the 90s, at some point, you have a TV station that's dedicated to chefs. And, and these characters are right these there. Characters are there. Yeah. And so now you're getting to know them even more. Right. Chefs come out from behind the, behind the stove. People want to know who they are. They want to know how they shop, why they do what they do. So it just all you know, started. And then, and then cooking and food just became part of pop culture, right. like music and you know, like art. And so, yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, it's just people want to know who's behind. They always want to know people who are behind what's going on at that moment. What about the f- the word foodie? Because it's like you can't really do an episode on super fans of food and not use that word foodie. Do you like that word? Is that a word that works for you? <laughs> what does that even mean? Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, it's it's a fan of food, a foodie. Um you know, it, it has all kinds of, you know, connotations these days, these, these super fanatic, you know. I think it sounds judgy. Are, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to judge your food. Like It does. Someone asked me the other day something like, you know, and they said, it must be impossible you should go out. You're always judging. And I said, no, I get paid to do that on TV. When I go out, I just <laughs> I just want to experience right. it. <laughs> no, but do you go on Instagram and see your food sometimes on there and go, like, that's kind of awesome. My fans are, like, promoting yeah, my yeah, food. Yeah, I did a thing this weekend. I was just dying. I had a We have a house on the North Fork of Long Island. We had some f- dinner party with all our friends who were out there. So it was, like, 11, 11 adults. And I made confit. So I made mm-hmm. a cassoulet. Mm-hmm. But you start with a confit of pork and confit of duck. And so I had duck wings, confit, and duck legs, confit, and a, and a shoulder of pork. And I posted that on Instagram. And? 28,000 views. <laughs> 28,000 views? <laughs> no, of just, usually, you're just cooking it Usually the stuff that I post, it doesn't get that much. So it caught fire for some reason. What do you want people to feel when they're in your restaurants? 
I want them to feel that that we are there to make sure that they're going to have a good time, that we're on their side, that we're we're there for them. They're not doing us a favor. You know, this idea that sometimes you feel like, well, oh, I'm doing them a favor by showing up. Or no, I, I want them to feel that they're they're enjoying themselves, that they're understanding it, that they're again, we want to make them happy. That's really it. If people leave feeling good about themselves good about the money they just spent, feel that there's value there at whatever price point it is, then, then we, we're doing our job. What is the an example of an extreme effort you've put in or someone on your staff has put in, mm-hmm. something that you and your team have done to surprise and delight or fulfill a fan? There's thousands of examples of things that we've done over the years. Um, you know, the, the, easy, the easiest thing to do is, is if someone notes that it's a birthday, making sure that that's acknowledged. So what we do, if someone comes in, it's a birthday or an anniversary, they get a special menu that says, happy birthday, so-and-so. Nice. It's actually printed on the menu. Nice. And they take that home. And so that's an example of, of the smallest little gesture that people feel that you actually heard them when they made a reservation. They said it's a birthday. It wasn't like someone had to remind them. Right. As soon as they sit down, they know. Right. It's not at the end, like, oh, they can remember the, the candle and you got to grab a side like it's a birthday. No. As soon as they sit down, it says, happy birthday. Knowing that someone, you know, if someone's, you know, a, a fan of the restaurant and they're pregnant and they're in New York City and we could send their favorite dish to the hospital that night. Wow. You know, have you done that for fans? Sure, sure we have, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So things like that, that, that goes a long way. And it's not me. It's my staff. that, that We have, we have uh, one waiter at Craft named Cesar who's just incredible. I mean, he's talking about a guy who will go out of his way to make you happy. These are all the little things that they pick up on. It's, it's a lot of little things. Every now and then it's a big gesture, but it's a lot of small little things that people just know, like, oh, you're thinking. You're really you're – going, you're going the distance. You're, you're, you're serious about making us happy. It's not just the slogan. Right, and you're on my yeah. side, like you yeah. said before. Yeah. Yeah. What happens if someone that you're a fan of – not a food person. Right. Someone you're a fan of comes in into your restaurant. Mm-hmm. You get butterflies in your stomach. You go like, I really want to make them happy. I'm a big fan. You go over and you say like, Hi, I'm Tom. This is my restaurant. So I give you one good fan. Um, I was a huge fan of his, and someone famous. I remember when Neil Young came in, oh. and he was here for the toy show because he owned Lionel Trains. He was an investor in Lionel Trains after they almost went bankrupt, and so I was a huge fan. But I didn't want to go to the table, and so what I would do is park myself at the podium on the way out. And so I remember saying hi to him, and he was like, yeah. And then I said something along the lines of, you know, growing up, I had Lionel Trains, they were really important to me. And I knew he was in town for the toy toy show. And then he was like, oh, wow, that's great. You opened him wide up (laughs) by by saying that. But, um, no, you know, my feeling is that everyone's treated like a fan if they're in the restaurant. And, and, you know, there are certain people that I went out of my way to say hi to. But for the most part, I don't like to bother people who are in the restaurant. I don't like to, I just don't like being intrusive when someone's having dinner. So I wanted to ask also, you know, there are these moments where there's like a food craze. How much do you track that stuff? Because you like, are you like paying attention to the, the trends in food and saying like, how can I apply that to what I do? Are you looking at the way that fandoms are popping up around certain areas of eating? Well, something like the Corona comes around, that, that becomes an absolute, you know, again, white hot fans, people line up for it. There's a line yeah, waiting for food. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. But we don't, I don't ever look for that. It's right. not like, you know, I got to come up now, my Corona. For me, it's, I'll put together dishes. I like them. If people like them, great. But I, I don't know how applicable that is to the kind of restaurants that I have. Right. I think it's actually more applicable. And this is, when we first opened Witchcraft, we had a cinnamon bun. People would come and line up for the cinnamon bun. 
People would come from, you know, we were on 19th between Park and Broadway, and people would come from the Upper East Side or Upper West Side and order 10. And then they would say, can we get them frozen? Can I get, like, you know, 40? Right, take them home and yeah, eat them and up. It's, it's, so it but became, you did nothing to market that. No. It's just the product itself. The f- mm-hmm. And I don't think the corona was marketed. It was just, right. you know, someone said it was great, and then somebody else, another influencer confirmed it, and another influencer confirmed it. Do you like it. when that happens? It's fine. I, it's not, I, don't, I don't have that much of an opinion about it. It's like, you know, you cheer, I cheer it on in a way because it's kind of cool to see it happen. Yeah. Um, but then it hits a point where it's like, really? <laughs> okay, enough of that. Let's move on. That was Tom Colicchio, Top Chef judge, New York City restaurant owner, and all-around purveyor of incredible taste. You can check out his latest food endeavors at craftedhospitality.com. And that's it for today's foodie episode of Fan Club. Fan Club is a V by Viacom and Pineapple Studios production. And our executive producer is Brooke DeVard. On our next episode, we're going to take a peek at my own sneaker closet. All that and more next time on Fan Club. <laughs> 